think we did. He seemed to be ready for us like he knew what was going to happen. Anyways, Judas had told us to watch for the man that he kissed. That would be the sign in case it was too dark or chaotic. And so when he went up and kissed Jesus on the cheek, they, they exchanged a few words. But Jesus didn't look surprised. He seemed more sad, I guess, because they were friends. Then the soldiers, after a little hesitation and stumbling, seized Jesus and were starting to bind his hands when, out of nowhere, one of Jesus' disciples grabbed a sword. Well, it was a good thing that you had so many armed people around you. He must have thrown down his sword knowing that he was outnumbered. Well, yeah, I wish he had thrown down his sword, but instead he took a wild swing. And since I was the closest person to him, he got me. I think he was trying to cut off my head, but I ducked and, and he cut off my ear. Um, Malchus, I think you've been awake a little too long. You're, you're not really remembering that correctly. You're not missing an ear. But that's the thing, Master. I, I'm standing there bleeding in shock, feeling around for, for the damage on my head. And I can see the soldiers turning towards this disciple who's holding the sword with a wild look in his eyes. But then Jesus spoke loudly and firmly. And I'm telling you, when that man speaks, everyone stops and listens. He has authority in his voice like no one I've ever heard. Oh, no disrespect intended. And he tells the guy to put his sword away. And then he walks over to me and he, he finds my ear on the ground and he brought it up and just placed it back on my head. Master, I don't know how he did it. He, he didn't stitch it on. It just sort of grew back. And the, the pain and the ringing stopped immediately. And I could hear. Malchus, you've never lied to me before. Tell me that you're making this up as a joke. And I will excuse you and be on my way. No, Master, I'm telling you exactly what happened. Anyone that was there is going to tell you the same account. This man healed me. Me. Someone who was part of the group that was arresting him. But really, I'm a nobody. You're not really going to condemn him to death. This man is a revolutionary an insurrectionist, a false messiah. He's too dangerous to keep around. He's leading the people astray, and he might bring the power of Rome down on us. He must be stopped. I understand that, Matthew, or Master, or I did before tonight, but all I saw tonight was compassion in his eyes and courage to submit to what he kept saying was what the scriptures 
we're pointing to. He must die, Malchus. Yeah, I know. That's what he kept saying. But of all the people I've ever met, he deserves it the least. Lord God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the scripture that we are about to read as we work our way through the Gospel of Matthew. I pray that you would open our ears and our hearts to the truth that it contains. And Lord, whatever's weighing on us, pressing on our minds, classes, jobs, uh, difficulties with family, co-workers, whatever it is, Lord, help us to find the strength right now to apply the gospel to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we read today's passage, remember the setting and context. We are preaching straight through Matthew, but if you haven't been with us, just a reminder, this is Matthew 26, 47 through 56. And this is after midnight on the final night of Jesus' life. He'll be dead before sunset, Friday night, that next night. He's already eaten the Passover meal with, with his disciples. And then he's introduced the new meal, the Lord's Supper, that would take the place of the Passover in the new covenant. Judas has run off to rendezvous with the Jewish leaders and the Roman soldiers who would be arresting Jesus, though none of the other disciples really knows why Judas has left. And finally, Jesus has led his followers into the Garden of Gethsemane where he prays intensely and they keep falling asleep. But read with me in Matthew 26. While he was still speaking, he, Jesus, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled, that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out against, as a, 
as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So I want to analyze this scripture passage by looking at four of the characters in this eyewitness account. You've got your uh, sermon outline there, points one through four. We've got Judas, Peter, Jesus, and the rest of the disciples. Now, we, we know there's a servant, there's Jewish and Roman folks in the crowd, but we're going to focus on these four uh, characters. And verses 47 through 50 tell us a lot about Judas, though we already know a good bit about him from the preceding chapters in Matthew. Uh, Look back at at the verses. Verse 47 tells us that he's one of the twelve, which we already know, Jesus' twelve apostles. He was the treasurer, and we're told that he was stealing money from the money bag that supported Jesus and the disciples. Verse 48 calls him the betrayer. And we've heard in recent weeks how he arranged to lead the Jewish leaders to Jesus in exchange for 30 pieces of silver, which sounds like a lot, but wasn't. And we don't exactly know Judas' motives. He certainly was greedy, but it's possible that he was disillusioned, disappointed with Jesus, or I don't know, maybe he kept hearing Jesus say, that he was going to be handed over to die. And so he figured that he could make that sort of a win-win-win. And that's what Jesus wanted, that's what the authorities wanted, and so he could make a little money off of that. Verse 49 says that Judas called Jesus rabbi, teacher. So he's a student, I guess, but many commentators think that his using rabbi instead of Lord means that he chose to keep some distance from Jesus, not to go deeper with Jesus. He just kept Jesus at the level of teacher and was not willing to make him Lord and master, which becomes obvious Verse 50 says that Jesus calls him friend. Maybe it's sarcastic. I don't, I don't think so. But it must have stung Judas because particularly we know that Judas is going to feel guilt-ridden pretty soon about the whole uh, chain of events. So Judas leads this large group, a crowd, a great crowd, the text says, It was a group that the chief priests, the Sanhedrin, all of the Jewish authorities had assembled. And it says it was their people. But they had also convinced the Roman authorities to send soldiers. And Jesus highlights the the absurdity of this big armed mob later in verse 55. 
Kind of the paraphrase. Essentially, he says, I sit peacefully teaching in the temple and you're too scared to arrest me there? And you bring this huge lynch mob as if I'm some dangerous threat? Judas approaches Jesus and he uses a kiss. The kiss of greeting is now the kiss of betrayal. A kiss that should have indicated loyalty, friendship, trust, and affection. And there's a very real, very human, gut-level revulsion. I hope you felt it. Maybe we've read the Gospels so many times, we don't feel it as much, but hopefully the first time you read through it, you were repulsed that someone so close to Jesus would betray Him. And we know in our own lives, when people pretend to be close to us and stab us in the back, it hurts. I mentioned a few weeks ago that Dante's Inferno the poet Dante, the vision of hell. He places Judas in the lowest level because he felt that betrayal was the worst of the sins. Worse than any of the others that had been punished on the upper levels of hell. Greed, adultery, murder, betrayal was the worst. Michael Card has a song simply titled, Why? And the first Stanza says, why did it have to be a friend who chose to betray the Lord? Why did he use a kiss to show them? That's not what a kiss is for. Only a friend can betray a friend. A stranger has nothing to gain. And only a friend comes close enough to ever cause so much pain. Essentially, Judas thought that Jesus' Fate was up to him. Since he went and arranged Jesus' arrest, but after the betrayal, we see that another disciple takes things in upon himself as well. Because Peter also thought it was up to him. Verses 51 and 52, Peter thought it was up to him. Let me read those verses again. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Okay, so Matthew doesn't give us names. He doesn't rat out his close friend, Peter, as the disciple who drew his sword and struck the servant's ear off. And he doesn't tell us the identity of the servant either. Even though all four Gospels mention this incident, only John tells us who's involved. And perhaps it's because the three synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, were written during Peter's lifetime and circulate, and there was a little bit of protection. I'm speculating, but John, written much later, could reveal it was Peter, and he wasn't going to get as much trouble with the Roman authorities. But John 18:10 says, Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it 
and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. And so my introduction was built around Malchus going back and reporting to the high priest, Caiaphas. And you wonder if Malchus stayed with Caiaphas for years after that. And if every time Caiaphas looked at that ear, he wondered if he had made a huge mistake in condemning Jesus to death. But you have to love Peter. He must have felt so overwhelmed with fear, confusion, and anger. He just grabs a sword and strikes out at probably the closest person to him, this poor servant who probably had very little to do with anything. It's probably a small part of the threat. But remember that Jesus has told Peter that Peter would deny him. And maybe Peter thought this was the big test. Would he deny and desert when they came to arrest him? And so Peter's not ready to abandon Jesus just yet, and so he proves it with the sword. And I don't know if you know this, according to Luke 22, 36-38, it's a quick note in Luke, Jesus actually had told them to pack a sword or two. And so it's not as far-fetched to think that Peter thought Jesus wanted him to do this. But Peter's one of those guys who just doesn't read the situation very well all the time. And so his actions are usually a little off. And that's the case here. Just 30 minutes, an hour earlier, he'd been sleeping when Jesus wanted him awake and alert. And now he's violent when he should have been peaceful. Jesus says, put your sword back in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. It's a good reminder that the power of the sword has never advanced Christianity. Douglas Sean O'Donnell, a commentator I read, said this. If you want to know what Jesus thinks about Christians bombing clinics or crusading against Muslims, wonder no more. Perhaps there's even something symbolic about the servant's ear being cut off. For where Christians have used violence to promote Christianity, those regions of the world are somehow least receptive to the gospel. Having no ears, they cannot hear. And Jesus is not just rebuking Peter when he tells him to put away the sword. I think he's protecting him. That whole die by the sword part was a very real possibility with these Roman soldiers standing around. And Jesus protects all of his disciples. In another gospel, he says essentially to the soldiers, you got me, let them go. But of course, so Peter thought that protecting Jesus was up to him. That's why he drew the sword. But the rest of this passage makes it very clear that Jesus knew that it was always up to him. 
verses 53 through 56, Jesus revealed that it was always up to him. Let's read those again. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place. The Scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. The Scriptures, the Hebrew Scriptures said, this is how it has to happen. Not step by step, it's not very always explicit. But sometime, read through Isaiah chapter 53. Because if you didn't know that, this, that Isaiah 53 had been written hundreds of years before Jesus lived, and you just heard it for the first time, you would think, wow, that's somewhere in the New Testament reflecting back on what happened to Jesus because it's so specific despised and rejected by men. It says, wounded for our transgressions, by his stripes we are healed. All the things prophesied there and other places in the Old Testament play out in Jesus' life and he recognizes that and he calls attention to it. He calls attention to it twice here, but throughout his life. And then Jesus says, hey, I could stop this anytime I want. Verse 53 is Jesus' assurance that he has the power to call down a large army of angels to intervene with the implied threat that they would kill anyone who got in their way. Legion is a military term meaning up to 6,000 soldiers. So multiply that by 12 all Jesus needed to do was say one word and 70,000 some angels would come down and protect him. And who would have found fault with that? Created sinful human beings were coming to kill God the Son himself. The one who had created them who created all things. The very one who holds the universe together with his power. They deserve to be wiped off the face of the earth. And Jesus would have been just to do it. And yet, God the Father did not will that that was how Jesus' life would play out. And how his kingdom would advance. Salvation would come through Jesus suffering and dying. Not protecting himself and striking down his enemies. So Jesus does not resist arrest here. And we're reminded that God designed every step of the way to the cross. And Jesus was obedient to God's design. John's 
6.64 tells us that Jesus knew from the very beginning who would betray him. And yet he kept Judas around and allowed it to happen. And then John 10, 17 and 18 says, Jesus says, For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. It wasn't up to Judas. It wasn't up to Peter. It wasn't up to the Jewish authorities or even the Roman soldiers and governors. Though they all played a role, it was God's design from the beginning, prophesied throughout the Scriptures, that Jesus submitted to. Jesus' life was one of purpose and determination. He came to accomplish something, and nothing would distract him from that. He kept the law perfectly, never sinned for his 30-some years of life. And now he was willing to be arrested, crucified, and killed. An atonement for us. His love for us propelled him forward. He knew that he would be the sacrificial lamb, slain once and for all for the sins of his people. He was willing to put up with the humiliation, the injustice, the horrific pain of the cross so that he would pay the penalty for our sins as he hung there. The very last part of this passage says, Then all the disciples left him and fled. Weren't these the guys that just told him, Lord, we'll never leave you. But they do. Frederick Bruner, another commentator, points out that it's the same Greek word for leave that's used here, that was used at the beginning of the disciples' ministry. At the beginning of the gospel, they left their nets to follow Jesus. Now, near the end, they leave to find safety. They had forsaken everything to be his disciples, but now they forsake Jesus. So four main characters in this eyewitness account. Four different reactions to Jesus being arrested, threatened. What can we learn here? How do we apply it? There's some obvious applications. Don't betray people. Don't stab people. You can go with some of those. And I actually, some, there's some current events that really work well here. Uh, Missouri, there's resisting arrest with violence. Um, and a religion that uses the sword in Syria. 
But I want to take as something that we probably encounter a lot more often. And I want to ask how you react when you are in a very uncomfortable conversation about Christianity. I remember sitting down at an Applebee's one time. I went in to just pick up some to-go food. And it was going to be 10, 15 minutes, so I had to sit at the bar. And the guy next to me, we just kind of struck up a conversation. And I must have mentioned I was a uh, pastor, or maybe I didn't. He just started sort of an all-out rant about Christianity. How unscientific and wrong and backwards and oppressive Christians are. And I remember thinking, I just want some food. But I, I kept talking, and I'm sort of running through my mind, all right, what, what, ta- what ta- track am I going to go with this guy? Should I just change the subject and make it nice and peaceful? Should I tell him he's an idiot? Should I walk him through the Romans road or the four spiritual laws? Um, it was a long time ago, so I, I just remember sort of challenging a few points he said, then just sort of smiling and saying, inviting him to church. I'm sure you've had those friends, those classmates, or coworkers, or family members, even harder, or random conversations with strangers, where they are very critical of Christianity. And you've had to choose how to respond. You have a choice whenever you hear Jesus and Christianity being attacked, ridiculed, questioned. And this passage shows us four ways that we can choose from, four responses. You can choose Judas's way, which is to help Jesus' critics. You look pretty good in their eyes. You can aid them in their condemnation of Jesus. You can betray him and join in the attacks and the ridicule. Or you can use Peter's way, which is to lash out at the critics. You can take the sword of truth and slash them with it, angrily striking out. You can ridicule people who don't understand him and and choose the way of aggression and antagonism. You can choose the way of the other disciples and just slink away, avoid the conflict, hope nobody notices that you're one of them. One of those Jesus people. Or you can choose the way of Jesus. At the same time, showing love and standing firm in what you know is true. When he healed Malchus's ear and submitted peacefully to this arrest, his love and compassion poured forth on his enemies. At the same time, though, he took the time to tell them that the Scriptures are true and that they would testify about his life, death and resurrection, and that they would truly happening 
as he said they would. So when people attack Jesus in front of you, first communicate love and care to them. And then lead them. Give them the way of truth, the truth of the scriptures. Will you choose Judas's false kiss, Peter's unwise sword, the disciples' cowardly evacuation, or Jesus' beautiful mix of loving gentleness and courageous stand for the truth? Take a moment to think about that and pray about that, and then I'll close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gospel writers who have faithfully recorded Jesus' life. Thank you that they give us the account of his betrayal, his arrest, his trials, his crucifixion and resurrection. Because they, those events are the cornerstone of our faith. To trust in Jesus because He took our place on the cross, our substitute. Taking our sin on His account and yet defeating death and rising from the dead. Lord, that is eternal life. And we praise you that we can understand it. If there's any here who don't understand that power and the truth of the gospel, I pray that they would continue to think through it and pray that you would use the scriptures to bring them to yourself. But Lord, I pray that we would apply this passage when we feel attacked, when we feel Jesus slandered, Christianity presented as untruth, ridiculed or mocked, I pray that we would have the courage to stand in love and in truth. Give us the words to say. Give us the peace and the compassion for those who hate you or those that don't understand you. And use us as tools to bring people into your kingdom. That your spirit would work through your people. May we worship you and praise you in thanksgiving for what you've done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.
Hear the words of the benediction from 1 Peter chapter 1. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. Before you leave, uh, there is a fox running around outside. We've had sent some guys out to, that's what they keep coming to tell me. <laughs> um, we don't think he's dangerous, but keep an eye on your kids. There's usually a game of tag or something out there. Just be aware. Uh, there you go. <laughs> Amen.